Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Commercial-Free Summertime, where I'm bringing you longer-form conversations with individuals who have fixed work by fixing themselves. Today's guest is Mandy Bryce. She's a hair and makeup artist, a model, and the host of the Bold Moves podcast. I met Mandy when a hair and makeup artist canceled on me and I had to hit an app called Thumbtack and find someone who could step in at the last moment to make me look good on stage. And when Mandy came into my hotel room, I didn't know a thing about her. You know, she could have been some weirdo. And instead, she's this phenomenally talented individual who's a former Milwaukee public school teacher who took her own career in her hands because she didn't like the political system in Milwaukee and the state of Wisconsin in America and decided to transform her side hustle into her full-time job. This interview represents a moment in my life when I was curious enough about someone to just shut up and listen to them tell a story. I was doing a podcast on the day that I met Mandy, but I didn't know. I asked her some questions and she told me her life story. And it was just so interesting and fascinating. I've asked her to come back to Let's Fix Work and do it all over again. So if you've ever wondered how to make a move from the thing that you're doing today, the thing that pays your bills, to something else that you love and you have a passion for and still pay your bills, well, Mandy is your woman. So everybody sit tight. After the break, I'll be right back with more Mandy Bryce and Let's Fix Work. Work is broken. And so is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is picking up the pieces so you can take control of your career, put yourself first, and be your own HR. With the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hey, Mandy. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. Hi, Lori. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my goodness. It's my pleasure. We met a couple of years ago when I needed someone to help me out in a bind, and you were there to do my hair and makeup, but also to just be a buddy and to calm me down before a speaking engagement. So I'm really glad that we've kept in contact and you're on the show today because you're someone who's known for making big, bold moves in her career. And I thought maybe we can talk about how you have fixed work for yourself. I would love to. I think it's so interesting that you phrase things the way that you did because I didn't particularly notice that you needed to be calmed down, nor did I feel like I was coming in as a superwoman to save you from being in a bind. But that is something that as a hair and makeup artist, I often explain to people who are pretty surprised is that I think hairdressers in a salon often are well known as being, you know, pseudo therapists and helping people who are talking out their problems who maybe should be in therapy and aren't and just get their hair done and maybe vent to those people. But I feel like most of the skill that I use is not even how I market myself as a makeup artist. And that is dealing with people who are maybe going to be on television for the first time or are speaking to a crowd or have to share something about themselves that's challenging and dealing with the psychology around that. So I was never trained for that specifically, but I feel like that's something that when I have someone in my makeup chair or I'm doing their hair, that definitely comes into play. Well, I'm glad that you didn't notice how nervous I was. That is a testament to all that public speaking training that I've been doing all these years. But I really felt that you were more than just a hair and makeup artist. You were also part educator. I mean, I learned a lot from that experience. 
And getting to know you throughout the years, I know that you are committed to education, just like you're committed to the beauty industry, and you've been able to marry the two. So can you talk about that? Can you talk about your career journey? And you know, how did you pick this? Why do you do this for a living and not something else? <laughs> Well, it's like I think a lot of people, it kind of is something that I sort of fell into. When I was a little girl, I played with the neighbor ladies makeup a lot. And I also played school. And I did go to the University of Wisconsin-Madison for education. And I was a classroom teacher for six years in Milwaukee. And while I was doing that, like many teachers, you have to have a side hustle or moonlight as something else. And for a long time, I was a model on the side. And then I decided I wasn't getting younger, which I don't think any of us are. (laughs) (laughs) And I still really enjoyed the industry of beauty and fashion and photography and all of the variety of things that I had done as a model and didn't really want to give that up. So I had my glitter at night and then you know teaching during the day. And so I built a makeup portfolio and have been significantly more successful as a makeup artist than as a model. And after a while of that, I retired from teaching to play dress up full time. I'm currently finally finishing my master's degree in education. I started it while I was still teaching and I'm looking to do my final project just so I have something else to hang on the wall. And then I've kind of combined the two with an online makeup course that I created for regular people, not for other makeup artists, but people who just want to feel a little bit more confident who maybe go into Sephora and Ulta and are terrified by everything they see and don't understand how to use. So simple makeup tricks for the average person who who wants to be able to boost their own confidence by knowing that they look good. I love all of that because what that tells me is you've gone from educator to model to hair and makeup artist. But underlying all of that is the sense of entrepreneurship, right? I mean, you truly are an entrepreneur. And it's not uncommon to hear a teacher who does a stint for less than a decade and moves on to something else. I mean, the educational system is just jacked up. Before we talk about what you're currently doing today, can you tell me why you left education? Yeah, it's interesting because I remember the day that we met, we somehow got into a political discussion, which is always risky to do with someone the first time you meet them because you never know if that person's going to be in agreement with you, especially if it's somebody that is paying you. And (laughs) the last person that I want to anger is the person who's going to decide whether or not they're going to make good on their financial agreement with me. But it actually is political reasons somewhat that I transitioned in my career. I was in my sixth year and there was a five-year student loan forgiveness plan that I was part of. So I had completed all of the obligations to get a portion of my loans forgiven and was just still doing it, but very, very stressed out a lot of the time. I was in Milwaukee Public Schools, which I don't know how things have changed since then because it was almost 10 years ago, but they were in a lot of turmoil. The class sizes were huge, which I imagine has not improved. And I remember going to like a professional development thing that they did for us where they sat us all in an auditorium and told us this is the third worst metropolitan school district in the country behind only Cleveland and Detroit and showed us graphs with the test scores and Milwaukee looking really dismal. And then we're kind of just said, but we can change the world. And it was like, wow, what a 
pep talk. Thanks for that. No, that is super depressing. So when you get a professional development moment like that, that almost causes cardiac arrest, <laughs> I would imagine. What, what do you do? I mean, you had mentioned that you had been modeling. Is that something that you'd been doing for a while? And I think it may surprise people that you can be a model outside of LA, Miami, and New York. Right. Yeah. So I had been doing it since the end of college is when I started. And Actually, Chicago is where the majority of all of the commercial catalog modeling is taking place. And really, I think any town that has a major business headquartered there or even small local businesses now because of social media, it's so important to have good images showing what you're doing. So I think even you know, in some town of 300 people, there's probably models who are helping out the local boutique or, you know, a small business like that. But I did some commercial catalog modeling primarily then and had some trips to New York and Vegas and LA while I was doing that during the summers and breaks and such. But so you were brave enough to leave a job as a teacher with a potential pension and all the benefits that go along with that to focus on modeling, hair and makeup and other entrepreneurial tasks. Yeah, it didn't seem like a brave thing at that time just because I felt so stressed out by what was happening. And it was right after Scott Walker had been elected as governor of Wisconsin. I see your face. So we are, <laughs> we're recording video, even though you only hear audio. And I know that because you and I have discussed politics before that you're familiar with him. And this was prior to the presidential try that he did. But he was looking to change the requirements to becoming a teacher so that all you needed was any college degree. You didn't have to have studied education at all. And so, of course, since I had almost completed my master's degree, I was a little higher up on the pay scale in terms of education, as well as it was my sixth year. So I was thinking that it'd be highly possible that Milwaukee would try to save money and oust some teachers that didn't necessarily have tenure who were expensive to pay because of their years there and training and hire, you know, some 22-year-old kid who majored in something goofy and couldn't get a job because they could save money and I'm so offended by all of this. And <laughs> I remember like I'm getting worked up again from our earlier conversation about this. You know, this is what's wrong, I think, with so many institutions, governmental institutions, or just institutions that are old and have systems that just have not kept up with the times. We have talented, amazing individuals who put their heart and their soul into their career. And then they're kind of caught in this budget conversation and this right. political conversation you lose phenomenal people. We lost you as a teacher, at least mm -hmm. there we lost you as a teacher, but you know, you've been able to convert your skills to change what you're doing and focus on the world of like beauty education. I think that's fantastic. But all of those kids who learned from you, they needed teachers and kids who come after them need teachers. Who's going to teach those kids? Well, my hope, and I think this is holds true with what you said with a lot of teachers having, you know, the sub decade expiration date is that, you know, what actually ended up happening is I was talking to my mom and I said, you know, with the Scott Walker business, it's possible that I don't have the job security that I thought I had. And I don't really know 
what I would do. But I'm also kind of thinking that if I were to get laid off or something, then that wouldn't be the worst thing. And then realizing that and her saying, you know, that could be the best thing that could happen to you. It could force you to do, you know, focus more on your makeup and modeling and give that a real shot. And I thought, you know, if I'm having these thoughts and thinking that losing my job might be a positive thing, that's really not fair to the kids. Because at that point, my heart's not in it anyway. And I was just so stressed and physically ill from the stress that that realization and in fairness of the students was really like, okay, well, hopefully some new grad, whether or not they're trained to teach, has the passion for it was what my fingers were crossed for. So that's who I hope replaced me. (laughs) I like your optimism there. And what I really like about that is you took a chance and you took a risk on yourself and you also put yourself first. You prioritized your emotional and your physical well-being. And you decided if I only have one shot in this world, I might as well put my efforts towards something that has a greater ROI spiritually, financially, and emotionally. And I think that's just such a good lesson for workers. I think many people say, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. There are all these reasons why they can't take a risk. And Mm -hmm. many of them are valid. But sometimes when you get laid off and you anticipate getting laid off and you see that as a gift, you're right. It's time to go. Right. Yeah, that's how I really felt. And so many people told me like, oh, you can always fall back on teaching. You'll still have your license and you could always go back if things don't work out. And at that point, I was so jaded by the whole system and so exhausted and again, just stressed and ill from it that I joked that I would rather work at a gas station or a convenience (laughs) store or anything else than go back to teaching. And that just wasn't an option for me anymore at that point. But you've gone back to teaching and you're currently finishing up your master's program. So let's advance forward and talk a little bit about where you are today. So I don't know if you're doing any modeling, but I actually bumped into a makeup artist who said, Oh, I saw we're connected through Mandy on Instagram. And I went, Oh, what a small world. And she said, God, her hands are beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) That's so so funny. (laughs) You've got a reputation for having beautiful hands. So just know that. So tell me a little bit about your present day career, who you are and what you're doing to earn money, but also to be helpful and to be of service. Okay. Yeah, I do still do some modeling and some of that is hand-specific modeling. So that could be where that reputation comes from, from a variety of things, whether it's nail art videos or my favorite is working for diamond companies because who wouldn't want a bunch of diamonds piled on you and having someone tell you how beautiful you are (laughs) while you're wearing thousands of dollars of diamonds. I love that that's a job. (laughs) I love that diamond model is like something someone could aspire to be. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of my favorites because I normally don't pay a lot of attention to my nails. And so it says, okay, you know, we'll give you a manicure reimbursement and come on up and we'll throw some six carat diamonds on your hands and and tell you you're pretty and take pictures for a couple hours. How lovely. (laughs) How much better than the Milwaukee public school system. I mean, I hate to say it, but (laughs) so you're doing, you're doing some high-end hand modeling, I see. So what, what else is in your portfolio? It's funny that you mentioned that with the contrast to school, because I remember for the first couple months after I resigned, it didn't really feel different because I was used to having summer breaks. And I let the end of the school year be the end of my teaching career, at least in a traditional classroom. And I'll never forget the first shoot that I had that was a paid job 
that was in fall. It was in this beautiful field with this stunning model and this very sweet photographer. And he gave me creative control. So it was just, you know, every makeup artist's dream. And I just remember sitting there thinking, or I could be in a room with 38 sweaty, <laughs> smelly sixth graders trying oh, no. to teach them math right now in French. So <laughs> it was a beautiful moment that I'll, I'll remember for the rest of my life because I loved teaching. I loved the light bulb moment. And I still do miss that aspect sometimes. But there are plenty of other things that I don't miss. And the smell of almost 40 sixth graders in a small room that's not air conditioned in August is not one of the things that I miss. Oh, man. No way. No way. (laughs) I love that you have these anecdotes from your past life because you do take them into your current life when you do a lot of work. You've currently got a podcast, you're you're an active blogger, you create a ton of content. So talk a little bit about what you're doing today. Sure. Well, I guess I was so inspired by how happy I felt in that moment in the field, for example, that I felt like more people should really go after that, especially being from the Midwest. I feel like there are so many people who start off in a job, whatever they're supposed to do that goes with their college major and do that for so many years because that's what they're supposed to do. And there's air quotes with that. And then they retire and die. And (laughs) that seems terrible if you don't love what you're doing because... At best, if you have a full-time job, that's a third of your life that you're spending at your job. So if you don't love what you're doing and you don't love who you're doing it with, like that's a terrible use of your time, I feel like. I don't disagree. I think there are people who unfortunately don't have choices around that. But I think many of us also default to a state of learned helplessness and we think we can't and we forget how to try. Like That's what differentiates us between animals and between insects is our capacity to dream a little and then do it. And so I think that it's phenomenal that you're out there trying to inspire people to do that. So tell us more. Yeah. So my podcast is called Bold Moves and it's primarily an interview-based podcast every Monday-ish. I've had a couple Mondays that it hasn't happened, but the goal is that every Monday I release an interview with somebody who simply put has made bold moves or taken risks. And it's a wide variety of risks. There are, of course, a lot of people who are entrepreneurs and their risk was quitting their job and starting a business. But there's people who've moved countries. There's people who started nonprofits. There's people who've climbed Mount Everest. Like Anything that's a big risk, I feel like if we hear their stories, someone can think, well, if that guy did this... I'm a little bit like him or why can't I do something else? And it doesn't have to be entrepreneurial related. It could absolutely be something like starting a side hustle or trying to learn how to play the guitar or anything that's going to light you up at some point instead of just kind of following the status quo and not really living and thriving. What's the most surprising thing that you've learned from hosting the podcast? I don't know if there really is anything... Like, like a learning moment that has been that surprising. Yeah. I definitely learn from every single guest that I have. And there have been some people who've done some pretty wild things, but nothing pops out in my mind as... How about the wildest bold move? Like what's that? I would say there's a woman who lives in San Francisco and she's married. And she said it was a Tuesday afternoon. Her husband was at work and she was working in the tech industry. And 
she just got inspired and bought a one-way ticket to Africa and went to Africa and basically moved there and stayed there for a couple of years while maintaining her marriage and ended up starting a nonprofit. And now she kind of splits her time between Africa and San Francisco. I wonder what we could learn from a marriage from that story, right? Right? And talk about a committed couple who believe in one another and give one another the space and freedom to pursue their dreams. I'm not sure I would let my husband move to Africa. I was just going to say, there's no way. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) So I know that you're interested in building a speaking career and expanding your social media presence. So a couple months ago, I was scheduled to see you out in Southern California and I had to have my gallbladder removed, which like everybody who knows me has heard that story. So it's a boring (laughs) story at this point. But flash forward, you know, I wanted to make sure that I paid you. I still compensated you for that time. And you said, how about we have a conversation about speaking and writing and growing your business. So I wasn't sure how to have it and when to have it. And I thought maybe this podcast might be a good forum for that. And since you're a natural interviewer, if you had any questions, I'm always happy to answer them. Well, absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And I appreciate that. First of all, you were kind enough to want to make sure that I was taken care of because a lot of times in my industry, things do get canceled last minute. And sometimes it stinks because you're counting on that money and you set aside that day. And it's not often at all that people recognize that. So that was really nice on your part to do that. And then because you're... I mean, success leaves clues. And there are things that you're doing that I would like to be doing. So I thought, you know, it would be way more valuable than a few hundred dollars if... I could pick her brain a little bit. And I didn't want to be that whole, I'll buy you coffee and pick your brain thing because I feel like that's (laughs) overdone and most people feel exploited by that. And Mm -hmm. rightly so. So I thought, well, you know, we can exchange energy in a different way. Hopefully that would help me out. And now it could potentially help you out too, because then it'll your listeners. I I mean, I feel like it's just a good movement forward. And I love your take on picking people's brain. And just if we can divert for a moment, not a day goes by when people don't reach out to me and say, Lori, can I pick your brain? And I Mm want to say yes. You know, I got where I am today because I was persistent and I poked at people and said, I want to learn from you. I want to copy you. Tell me what you know. And some people were open and giving and some people said, well, look around. Just watch me. That's enough, right? And so I straddle a fine line. I don't want to be too aggressive. I don't want to say no, but um, I can't make myself available to everybody. So what do you do when someone wants to pick your brain? It depends on the person and it doesn't happen too much to me at this point, but at times I do it and at times I don't. I guess you got to hand a sort of get a feeling on that person and how much it's going to suck from you. How, you know, because anytime you say yes to something, you're saying no to other things. So what's the cost of this opportunity going to be for you? And is this person have good intentions or are they trying to compete? You know, so I think that there's so many different factors and you just kind of go with your gut. On I think you're right. <laughs> I think the way I'm asked is also really important. If someone is thoughtful and kind and has a really good story, I'm more likely to say yes than if someone just sends me a LinkedIn in-mail. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to be on LinkedIn anyway. Like, why are you making me read this email on LinkedIn? So I think you're right. I mean, it's the energy and it's also the way they ask. So yeah, yeah. So you wanted to pick my brain, right? And I'm always learning from watching you. So what are some of your questions? 
basically, I think mostly seen as the beauty professional, which is great. But the issue with being a makeup artist is that 99% of the time, you're trading time for money. You have to be in the place with the person doing the thing for an income to happen. And I want to have more passive income and I want to be able to reach people on more than just a one-on-one level. So because I'm so passionate about personal development, I've been really interested in writing. I've written almost a whole book and I just have been procrastinating on it. And then I also really like speaking. So of course, I am able to do that somewhat in my podcast. But having only given one speech in front of people, which was years ago, I don't know where to start and say, okay, this organization should book me to talk, even though I have no proof that I'm not going to stand up there and be awkward. (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. I think your statement around wanting passive income is very trendy and and not in a bad way. Like people realize that they can't scale, that they're just themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm lucky enough that I'm okay with like one or two streams of income that are me and that are generated. But there are colleagues of mine who have really doubled down on like coaching courses and all sorts of different ways, you know, uh, brain trust groups to kind of exchange information for money, but do it. Uh, at 1 to 12 or 1 to 15 instead of 1 to 1. But I love that you want to focus on speaking because I think speaking opens you up to revenue opportunities that you haven't even considered. But you're right. If you've only ever given one speech, no one is ever going to pay you. (laughs) That's not how that works. (laughs) So it's cheesy to say this, but you have to start at the bottom. And that is a hard thing to tell someone who's at the top of her game in other areas. Mm -hmm. But I know you're professional, you're entrepreneurial, and you're competitive, you like a challenge. And so I would encourage you to enroll in Toastmasters or find a public speaking agency where you can practice. But not only that, where people can give you leads because you need a network. You've probably got a really good network around beauty and fashion and makeup. That network around public speaking could use some work. So I would start there. Toastmasters is great. You can also start visiting. If you're still passionate about education, you must go to the library from time to time. And public libraries are always advertising and looking for speakers to talk about specific topics. So mm-hmm. start just browsing around. Where are there free places where you can go and start to build your portfolio and grow from there? But I love that you want to do that because if you can speak, you can educate in a different way. Absolutely. And that was part of what I was thinking as well is that it would be still naturally in my wheelhouse and something I would be passionate about. And then also still help people. So absolutely. absolutely. And as you speak, you get to do something which I think is really fun. You get to mentor people along the way and you get to find a speaking mentor and you can hear all the tips and tricks without being, you know, without being obnoxious. You just learn, you grow, you observe, and then you share that knowledge with someone else. But it really starts at that level of making relationships and working on your craft. If you don't do those two things, you can't be a speaker. Okay. So I think you've given good tips on how to get started with looking into Toastmasters and looking for opportunities that aren't paid. And I feel like that's very similar to even starting as a makeup artist. You have to do so many jobs where you don't get paid before you can start getting paid jobs. And that makes complete sense. And I'm totally ready to start at the bottom there. Yeah. You know, currency isn't just 
cash, currency, right. can be education, it can be relationships. You know, I always say that relationships are the currency of business anyway. That's how business gets done. So I think, you know, building that network just makes so much sense. When I started, I was lucky enough to have friends who were already speaking. So I just said, what are you doing? And watched mm-hmm. it and copied them. But I think there are so many more public speakers right now that the market right. demands that you be excellent. If you're not excellent, you don't even get to step up on stage, not even for free. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's good because I've seen some speakers in the past that weren't excellent. So I'm glad that (laughs) maybe they're being weeded out. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know, it breaks my heart. I mean, there is also this thing just like in any industry where there's nepotism or there are relationships that just get somebody in the door and you watch someone on stage who's not very good. And you think, why are you doing this? My speaker coach is named Nick Morgan. And Mm -hmm. he told me the only reason to give a speech is to change the world. And I thought, whoa. (laughs) And there have been times when I'm stepping on stage and my goal is not to change the world. I'm like, I should get the hell off stage, you know? So it's that serious. That's your role when you step on stage. So if you're not giving it 110%, don't do it. Don't do it. That makes sense. I'm curious, and I'm glad that you kind of took the conversation this direction because it's a perfect segue for some of the questions that I sent you when we first decided that evolved into it being a podcast interview instead of me and you just chatting on the phone or something. And that was wondering what exactly you love and what exactly you don't love about speaking. Because obviously, from an outsider's point of view, it's you get on the stage, you dazzle people for however long you're speaking, you get off and then people thank you for changing their life. And then you get letters later and people are tweeting their takeaways from what you said. And I know that there's more to it than that. And I thought before I get on the bottom and you know do all this stuff for free and build a portfolio and develop a skill, I should know what exactly I'm getting into so I don't do all of that work and find out that I hate it. <laughs> Well, that is such a smart way of looking at a speaking career. I think many people take all of their family of origin trauma and they take everything they've ever been through. (laughs) And they think, I've been through a lot. I know some stuff. I'm going to teach you. And unfortunately, that's not what speaking is about because speaking is really about going up and telling stories. And just based on our conversation, Mandy, you're a natural born storyteller. And so one of the things that a great speaker does is have a bevy of stories at his or her disposal to use on virtually any audience. So it's about really being self-aware and knowing what you've gone through in life, but also Mm -hmm. understanding how to share and communicate that to an audience in a way that's interesting and relevant and appropriate. You've worked in the entertainment industry. You know, if you can't tell a story, you don't go anywhere. And I think the same is true for public speaking. It has really challenged me also to think about my writing in a three-dimensional way. Because when you tell a story in a blog... It's Mm -hmm. so much different than communicating it to an individual that you're looking at on a screen or in an auditorium. And so it challenges you creatively, professionally, and even emotionally. And that's kind of what I love about it. I'm always learning and growing. Every speaking opportunity is an opportunity for me to dazzle, but it's also an opportunity for me to fail and potentially grow from that. So yeah, I I love the challenge of it. It's really, it's like an interesting puzzle. Does that even make any sense? 
I think it does. And I, I love that that's what you've chosen to highlight as what you love about it is the challenges. I feel like that has to be true love then because you didn't just say, I love the applause or... <laughs> I, you know, I've done this a few times. I know how to talk about myself. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, everybody who gets on stage is a partial narcissist. I mean, you have to be brave and courageous and believe in yourself and believe that you have something to say and believe that those stories that you've collected all these years are going to resonate. And so I do have that belief. And I also believe that I'm better than my closest competitors and you should give me a check and not them, right? So there's that element of competition that goes into it, but that's not what I love. And Mm -hmm. there have been times when I've been turned down for speaking opportunities and I see who gets it and I go, oh yeah, that's a better fit. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm humble enough to admit that or times when I've been approached and I know I'm not a good fit and I'll recommend my friends. And that's where that network comes in. If you've got a good group of people, your opportunities are limitless. I love that. So what would you say you don't like about speaking? Remember how you said you're a hand model, but you don't often pay attention to your nails? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I think for me, I mean, you and I can see one another right now. I am in my running clothes. I've got my hair pulled back. I've got my glasses on. I live a pretty quiet, solitary life. And I like that because that's what enables the writing. But if I want to make money and I want to reach more people at scale, I have to speak. And for me, speaking means I have to look nice enough that my looks aren't a distraction, but not too nice that all people can focus on are my looks. And I know this because people are brutal. I've read the comments, right? (laughs) A lot of emotional time and energy making sure that not only my physical presentation up on the screen is right and my script is right, but that I also look a certain way that it's not going to be attention-seeking or distracting. That is all insane, but that's the world of speaking. I mean, people submit comments and you're rated and audiences aren't educated on how to give constructive feedback. So (laughs) I have to pour through 15 comments on what I wore just to get to an astute comment about how I made a point or how I could have made a point better. So yeah, that's kind of challenging. It's hard on the heart. And I think you have to go through a couple of cycles and just develop a callus in order to uh, see past it. That's really interesting that you said that because when I sent you the email with these questions, I sent it to a few people and the majority of them, they were all people who I know who are speakers, but the men did not mention that at all, which I guess shouldn't be a surprise in today's society. But they said primarily that they didn't like marketing themselves and that that was the challenge, that they just wanted to show up and speak as opposed to having to have a social media presence. So when I heard that, I thought, okay, well, I got this in the bag because I don't mind doing the social media part. I don't mind reaching out to people and putting myself out there. But now that you say this, it just brings me back to that whole striking the balance of sexy, but not too sexy. You want to be taken seriously, but you don't want to be boring looking. (laughs) Right. You know, I have a close competitor. Well, he wouldn't think he's a close competitor of mine, but he is, right? And so he's out there in the world and he's doing great work. And it's only because I'm lazy that we're not better competitors, right? So he's (laughs) out there and he shows up in jeans and a shirt and a blazer and he looks fantastic for a man his age and what he's doing. Mm -hmm. But for me to look fantastic for a woman my age and for what I'm doing, it takes an inordinate amount of work. And it feels like a tax that I pay just to show Mm -hmm. up. And I know a lot of women talk about this in a lot of industries. In the tech industry, women will look a certain way to affect a persona. And it's no different when you're up on stage as a woman. Now, 
slowly but surely, I'm gaining the confidence to break away from that. But every time someone says it would have been nice if she had worn lipstick, I think, (laughs) oh, maybe I should have worn some lipstick. All right. Then I have to remind myself, well, maybe not. And this is just some idiot who's got mommy issues, right? You know, whatever. But It definitely does feel like an oppressive barrier that shouldn't be there. And if I think about it this way, can you imagine what people who are disabled feel like or people of color or people who aren't necessarily part of the mainstream? So I think it's something we need to do further educating on. Like we need to tell audiences when you give feedback, focus on the speech and not on the individual who delivered it. I don't know. That's what I think. Yeah. It's such a great point that you bring up about who this gentleman or woman may have been that left that comment because I can't imagine going and listening to somebody give me education or motivation or inspiration. And I'm a makeup artist and I can't imagine being so distracted by whether or not they were wearing lipstick. (laughs) That's that's my one takeaway. So I think that says a lot more about that person than it does you. And I can't complain too much about this tax, as you called it, because without it, we probably would have not met. (laughs) That is true. That is weird, weird irony. It is. But I actually kind of enjoy the transformation a little bit. I mean, there's a side of me that complains about it, but there's a side of me that's like the big reveal. You know, when I was a kid, I would see these makeover ambush shows on TV. And I would think, oh man, a day at the spa solves everything. (laughs) (laughs) I know what it feels like. I mean, it's part of now my relaxation process of getting in the zone and kind of calming down. And when somebody's like stroking on your hair, rubbing things on your teeth, you can't help but just chill out a little bit. So I feel a little pampered and that's kind of nice, but you know, it'd be nice if it was at a different price point. <laughs> but you are worth it. You always make me look fantastic. And one of the things I appreciated about working with you, Mandy, is that you focus on natural beauty. You weren't trying to give me a fantastic makeover. You just wanted to highlight who I was and make me me, but only a little bit better. I don't know how to explain that. I think you explained it perfectly. And I was going to say when you were talking transformation, like, what does she lost her mind? I barely do anything. <laughs> When I work with you, it's like, okay, here's a little shimmer. Here's a little, this little that. I need it. I need that shimmer all the way. (laughs) We all need some shimmer sometimes. (laughs) Well, as we start to wrap up the conversation, I wonder if there are any final questions that you had for me that I can answer about speaking or being in this space. Well, I think we covered speaking pretty well and I have some good starting points. You mentioned that you prefer writing and I'm an introvert and probably prefer writing as well, or we'll see, I guess, once I start speaking. But I'm wondering about the relationship between the two, because you said one kind of informs the other or powers the other. And then if you have any tips for writing as well, maybe how to position yourself as an expert or how to get started. I've gotten some beauty articles that I've written and I've done some ghostwriting. But beyond that, I'm sort of trying to transition because my husband and I are going to start trying for children in about six months or so. And so I won't be able to take every makeup job and still want to contribute financially. And so that's something that I want to lead toward. Yeah. Yeah, that's really fantastic. Well, I think writing is something, you know, that gives you a whole host of opportunities. You can work for digital agencies, you can work for creative agencies. And again, it's about developing that network. And thankfully, you know somebody now who knows a lot of marketing people. So we can talk <laughs> about this offline. But I think it's about finding that connector, that super networker 
who really understands what the world of work is like and can plug you in and introduce you to people who matter. So you've met me and I would encourage you to think about your other people on your LinkedIn platform or wherever, people you know that maybe you don't know them well enough, but who could lead you to other opportunities in the world of writing. But for me, every speaker I know who's phenomenal and knocks it out of the park is a writer. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something about self-awareness, introspection, and patience that goes along with writing that really pays off in stagecraft. So I just put that out there. I mean, there the pace of writing can be frenetic, but the pace of editing is slow. Yeah. And I think when you're up on stage, what you see is someone's hard work that's been thought through if it's done well and edited well. And there's just such a one-to-one relationship between writing and speaking that it's almost impossible to be on stage if you're not a good writer. Now, there are some people who are not natural writer-writers, but Mm -hmm. they're still journaling, they're cataloging, they're thinking. And I don't know, that cognitive process just pays off. So I would encourage you to find some time in your calendar because you have to schedule it Mm -hmm. or it, it just won't happen. So whether it's daily, you block out an hour or a couple times a week just to get started. I promise you the act of scheduling is what's going to pay off with writing. Yeah, I definitely have noticed that when I did make it a priority to even 30 minutes a day write, I made so many bigger strides than I have any time that I've just, okay, I have the afternoon randomly to do it. Yeah, yeah. That that, makes sense. (laughs) I love these questions. I could do this forever. I certainly appreciate your time. And I want our wonderful listeners to know where they can find you and where they can connect with you and learn about what you're doing and also be inspired by your bold moves. So where should people go to find you? Well, the podcast, since I have kind of a variety of offerings, the podcast, if you're looking for inspiration and want to hear other people's stories, is called Bold Moves. And it's on every podcasting platform there is, I'm pretty sure. So if you just search Bold Moves, you'll find it there. I have Mandy Bryce and Makeup by Mandy Bryce as handles on Instagram, as well as websites. And it's M-A-N-D-I-E, be like basketball, R-I-C-E. And you can find whatever you're looking for in either category there. And then I will make a special page for when this comes out. So if you go to mandybrice.com slash fix work, I'll have some goodies there that are both in the beauty and motivational space so that people can be served for whatever they're looking for. Oh, I love that. That's such a great idea. Thank you so much for offering that. And really, it's just been such a joy to spend some time with you again. It's been too long and uh, hopefully I'll get to see you. I, I need to book some business out on the West Coast. Yes, come on over and we will play dress up. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, more glitter, more shimmer. I think that's yes. important. <laughs> well, <laughs> I want to see it being... in the comments. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> in comments. <laughs> thanks incredible. again for being a guest on Let's Fix Work. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back after the break for more Let's Fix Work. All executives need to be podcasting. Podcasts are the number one way for executives to create an authentic and trusting relationship with employees and potential customers. That's why my producer, Danny Osmond, just did a three-part series on why executives should be podcasting. 
Want to give your company a brand or a face? Want to connect with current or future employees? Are you interested in pivoting out of your current position and into a new career or personal brand? Well, if you're an executive who is podcast curious, head on over to dannyosmond.com forward slash executives and learn how a podcast builds credibility, how podcasting gives you a leg up against the competition, and how a podcast can power a speaking career and help you write a book. Don't worry about finding the time to listen. Each episode is less than 10 minutes and Danny has put all three episodes in one place. Head on over to dannyosmond.com forward slash executives to listen and find more resources. That's dannyosmond.com forward slash executives. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mandy Bryce. All of her information, her podcast, her makeup tutorials, her website, All of that is located in our show notes. And if you'd like to go directly to the link on my website, you can go to lauriruderman.com forward slash let's fix work dash 67. Let's Fix Work was recorded here in Raleigh, North Carolina with Mandy being on the left coast and produced by Danny Osment at Emerald City Productions. Danny is the podcast producer du jour. And I promise you, if you're interested in podcasting, he is the guy to call. He'll help you optimize your audio, optimize your production, but more importantly, he'll help you with your distribution. If you want more than 50 downloads, Danny is your guy. Now that's all for today, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Let's Fix Work. If you're ready to make a real change in your workplace, start today by number one, subscribing to Let's Fix Work on the Apple Podcasts app or iTunes or Stitcher or Android or wherever you listen. Number two, write a five-star rating and review. And number three, share it with a friend, colleague, or coworker who you think would enjoy our episodes.